Hello, everybody. How's it going? Welcome back to the history of video games. My name is Wes, and I am here with Ben. How are you doing today, Ben? I'm doing great. How are you, Wes? I am doing really good myself. Um, you know, it's, it's been a while since we recorded, so I'm hoping we both got some good games to talk about. Uh, do you want to get us started on that? I feel like I'm about to let you down right now. <laughs> I mean, I have been playing some stuff. I've been playing some chess. I've been playing my Star Wars game, but I'm like three levels from the end. So I kind of want to wrap it up and then talk about it next week. You know, just right. kind of yeah, yeah. put it all together. So instead, I wanted maybe I thought, let me talk about the website because I've just been working on the website for yeah, like yeah. the past couple days. No, that's good news too. I'm happy to hear about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. A couple of weeks ago, I started doing this kind of polish pass on the whole website, and I finally completed it this morning. So let me tell you some of the things I've done. I went back to a lot of the older pages and kind of just updated the visuals to look better and more like the newer pages. <laughs> so they look better now. I fixed a bunch of bugs and errors, like things linking to the wrong place to like arrows that just are floating out in the middle of space <laughs> like all that's been fixed one of the largest and most time consuming parts has been getting the entire timeline updated to work on mobile devices and i've done that it's, it was like 10 pages or something a lot of pages and a lot of moving around and hiding things to Ooh. make it work really nice on mobile so it does and you can check out basically the whole timeline and website on your mobile device, which is pretty cool. I also added a bunch of navigational links to a lot of the larger years. So like 1976, I think there was like five pages and now you can, there's like a place where you can just click on one to five, you know, so it's super easy right. and you don't have to go one, then two, then three, <laughs> then four, then five, which is what you had to do before. And then the last thing is that I actually embedded this podcast itself onto the website. So you can just listen to the podcast on our own website. And especially if you're listening to an older episode, it's probably really nice because you can just listen to it there and then also go to that place in the timeline and just look at the images and the GIFs of the games that we're talking about as you're listening to it. So it's a pretty cool little feature. <laughs> And I'm planning on expanding just about everything I've mentioned and making it look even better. But I don't know. I feel like I've done quite a lot of polishing over the past couple weeks. And now I'm ready to go back to just adding a bunch of content, you know, new games. Yeah. So uh, that'll be my next venture. But it certainly has been a pretty fruitful little polish pass. And I'm feeling pretty good on the whole website in general. It's looking a lot better. A lot more yeah. like professional <laughs> <laughs> yeah the more we do this the more we grow and the more we learn about how to do this whole process it's always fun to look back and sometimes be like wow i can't believe we did that but <laughs> at right. least we uh we have ways that we can make it look even better now so i'm excited that's glad the site is looking the way it is now yep even like some of the pages that i've that were pretty good have been made even better stuff like the sources page like i've added some new sources that i found in 79 so um you know it's just getting a little bit more fleshed out really so <laughs> it's a good time you definitely go check out the website it's a great time to do so if you haven't yet nice nice well glad to hear it that's all i wanted to really say today so <laughs> maybe you could uh jump us in with some actual gaming wes 
Yeah, sure. Because uh, while you're doing the work behind the scenes, I seem to always find some time to play games. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. But uh, I I like to think of it as research, you know? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So a few weeks ago, there was a Steam event going on for highlighting demos for upcoming games, which Mm -hmm. uh, I think I saw it in a couple articles, people talking about it, and they've done it before, but it just caught my eye this time around. And of course, not many games really do free demos at all anymore. It's just like not a thing. Mm-hmm. So it was cool to take a look at some of those. And there was a few I wanted to talk about. One being this really interesting looking themed like winter uh, mystical Viking-ish um, survival story game or like sort of like an action combat game, I guess, is more, more than a survival game. Okay called frost flame i think i was really hyped for that but i gotta tell you i I don't know if they should have put that demo out yet the trailers uh made me more interested in the game than that demo because there was one fight that sort of worked and then a janky cutscene, and then it was like thank you for playing i was like uh (laughs) but i mean if there's a big event like that going on and you want to get your name out there i'm sure that's a good way to do it i just hope people aren't uh don't skewer it too much because the demo definitely wasn't great, but the game concept looks really cool. Mm. So I'm excited to see that one. Uh, I'm forgetting the studios for all these, by the way, which I, I should have looked those up beforehand, um, but they are still all available as far as I know. The other one that I checked out was called No Place for Bravery, which is, I believe, being made by a Spanish studio, or maybe Portuguese, actually. And it's this sort of like a hyper light drifter style game where it's like a top-down pixel graphics action combat game with hardcore like dark souls like combat where you gotta like dodge and you have a what's basically like a renewable health potion a la dark souls Mm -hmm. that was really good it's got like some crazy mystical elements to it i'm like walking through this forest and then at one point the bridge just becomes like blood and like muscle and sinew i'm like okay things aren't really normal here and then you have to fight like a dream version like a nightmare version of yourself sort of like nightmare link and okay the the combat was really satisfying in that parry systems looked really good and the music was great so i'm super hyped to see that one come out and the last one that i took a look at during the demos was totally out there even if you're not interested in uh, city building crafting type games you got to watch the trailer for this because it is a city builder it's got sort of like individual people and their stats sort of like rim world or roller coaster tycoon weirdly enough and you're building this whole community making them survive upgrading tech that whole sort of gameplay loop that we're familiar with but the trailer for it is just so hilarious it's like got this cheery music. The beavers are, which I forget if I mentioned all the characters are beavers in this. <laughs> you didn't mention that. <laughs> That's the big part. So the beavers are building all these houses and then the music just gets really hardcore. It's like, and you might have to deal with drought and it just shows tons of dead animated beavers everywhere. <laughs> and it was such a comedic way that they did it, but it looks, <laughs> I don't know. It was very grim humor, but it was hilarious. The game itself, I did play a decent bit of it. It's fun. It's like, you know, select this area of trees, chop down the trees, and then the beavers make houses and stuff like that. Eventually, there's going to be different races or tribes. So, like, one of them, the uh, little 
flavor text for that tribe was like, these beavers have forsaken the way of wood and turned to the way of iron. So they're like the techie, <laughs> like steel building uh, beavers. So it, it's a really funny thing. And just that small change in theming is, is instead of it just being like random people, like living in a forest, just like all these beavers, it's really hilarious and cute. Um, and I didn't mention the name of that one, by the way, it's called Timberborn. Okay. And that one is, I'm excited for that one as well. Yeah, I've just been playing kind of games all over the place. <laughs> but that was my experience uh, with those three demos recently. All pretty good ones, which you should check out. Yeah, I mean, I definitely enjoy myself a good city builder. So <laughs> at Timberborn. Right, right up my alley. <laughs> all right, cool. Well, should we move into the special topic then, Wes? Yeah, I think so. We've got a podcast tradition special episode here for you guys today. It's the who is the best developer special topic, um, which we do every year. We do it right in the middle of the year to kind of put it in between this and the first episode of the year, which is when we do like the awards for favorite games of last year. So, but the favorite developer always, always in the middle of the year. And um, I have created the list. Wes doesn't know this list yet. I tried to like slim it down a little bit this year because there was a lot of games (laughs) that we covered. Yeah. So I only looked at like the bigger ones, but yeah, let me just jump into it. I'm going to start giving you some names and some games, Wes, and you can tell me what you think. Right. All right. I'm the big decision maker. Yeah. Yeah. As always, <laughs> you're the, you're the guy who kings the crown, right? No crown the king. <laughs> uh, anyway, let's start out with some computer game companies or people for the first time ever on this yeah. list. We've never okay. had like computers stuff. I could have taken from more. I could have done soft tape and instant software and some other companies, but I thought the the real ones to mention were Muse Games. They came out with Maze Game, which I played, and Tank War, which I played. Right. So you probably don't know them too well, but they were two <laughs> very cool, very uh, unique games that I enjoyed a lot. And then also Bob Bishop has come out with four games that we've taken a look at or mentioned. Apple That's Star right. Trek. Rocket Pilot, Star Wars, and Space Maze. <laughs> so these are really about the space-themed games. <laughs> but all those are on the Apple II. But now, moving into the uh, arcade game genre, which is usually where we make our decisions because they're kind of where the best games are at. I wanted to quickly go through the companies that I feel like should have had more here, but they didn't. Like, Exidy has only done Circus since we've last on this oh yeah how is that possible <laughs> that seems crazy i know and they i've had like 15 mentions of them license licensing it to people so maybe they're <laughs> just like rolling in the circus money i right. don't know but that's it i mean that's it for them and then gremlin has only done depth charge and blasto and that's it and blasto i thought was just okay yeah and uh depth charge was like a seawolf type of game but that's kind of it from them too so they they were kind of maybe my letdowns. <laughs> so moving into some of the larger names, we've got Meadows Games still in the running. They came oh, wow. out with three kind of games, Meadows Lanes, Inferno, which was a crazy weird firefighting game. Yes, I do remember that. <laughs> and 3D Bowling, which actually was a really good perspective-based game of bowling, which I really enjoyed. And then another company who also had three games was Taito. They came out with Super Speed Race, Super Speed Race 5, and of course, Space Invaders. So, right. you know, I feel like they're, it kind of 
is in line with them where I feel like they don't put out a whole lot of games, but when they do, they're pretty bangers, you know? Yeah. So it kind of makes sense. Um, but then getting into the last two companies, the biggest two, of course, you guys know them. Midway has come out with many games, including Laguna Racer, M4, Clowns, Extra Inning, the US version of Space Invaders, Space Walk, which was a kind of circus-esque weird oh, thing where yeah, your yeah. dude became a spaceship <laughs> and sea wolf 2 so i'd say of that list maybe the highlights are probably sea wolf 2 space invaders the u.s release laguna racer i still think it's a really great speed race type game so i think that's a pretty strong contender and then of course atari has come out with Superbug, destroyer canyon bomber sprint 4 ultra tank Sky Raider, Avalanche, Fire Truck, and Sky Diver. <laughs> so uh, it's a pretty crazy lineup. I'd say my favorites out of that list are probably Superbug and Fire Truck, just because of the scrolling play field. But you also have like Canyon Bomber, I thought was a quite good game. Mm-hmm. And then some of the classics like the Sprint franchise and the Ultra Tank series. So a lot of good ones. So that's kind of all I had for you, Wes. Maybe I'll do a really okay. quick summary. So we had Muse, the main one there's Maze Game, Bob Bishop and his Star Wars games, Taito had Space Invaders and Super Speed Race, Meadows Games had Inferno and their bowling games, Gremlin and Exidy were kind of letting us down, and then Midway had Laguna Racer, Space Invaders US, Seawolf 2, and Atari had Superbug, Truck, Sprint 4, Canyon Bomber. Mm. What do you think, man? That is tough. And you know, there's a lot more sequels than I was expecting this year. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It, it's like um, from Atari and Midway and Taito. Well, I guess like you said, this kind of fits what Taito's done before, but it's just like follow-ups and then like one or two like really cool new ones. And as much as I love the PC ones, I don't know if they're doing enough to compete with the arcade at this point. Except like, I mean, like Muse is getting there. Like those Apple II things yeah. they're doing are pretty sweet. Yeah, I thought even like soft tape and instant software, they're becoming recognizable names to us. And I think they just need to get to a level where they're pumping out more games, really, I think. Right. Yeah. But so looking at the rest of them, that's tough. <laughs> Give me the uh, the Midway again. What did Midway do? I know they did Space Invaders. Space US. Invaders US, yep. Uh, Laguna Racer, M4, which was, it's like a Cops and Robbers with two tanks that you played. Um, that's right. Just black and black and white. They had yeah, clowns, <laughs> which is their their version of uh, circus. Extra inning, spacewalk, and sea wolf too. Okay, you know I was getting stars in my eyes, and uh, I was thinking midway because of that U.S. release of Space Invaders, and I really liked Sea Wolf too. But uh-huh. honestly, extra inning and M four were huge letdowns to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and so. I don't know. I feel like you kind of got to go Taito just because oh, they, wow. I don't know, because of, space, because invaders. of space invaders. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I was going back and forth between midway because they had a more like rounded out portfolio. Superbug mm-hmm. and fire truck from Atari are also really cool, but they've also just done like a lot of weird stuff that didn't quite land this year. So I don't I see, know. I see. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think it, 
it is important for us to recognize companies that maybe don't put out as many games, but when they do, they're just like amazing. You know, that's more like how companies are today. Like they're not putting out a game every year of the best companies, right? Right. So, you know, I kind of like that. Yeah. Taito with the gold crown. Do you have like a silver and a bronze you want to give out or? Uh, you know, I hate to go for the, the big ones that we mentioned and not any of the, well, you know, maybe I will cheat a little bit. I, I just think silver is Atari. And if I'm being fair, I think Atari probably actually is doing better in this year since most of the fame for Space Invaders will come next year for Taito. But, and then bronze, I kind of want to just give it to one of the computer companies because I know they're coming up and making cool stuff and say Muse because we know crazy stuff is going to come from them. Oh, I like that. All right, cool. Yeah. It's it's so, a little bit of a, a, a prediction. Maybe not fair to just what they've made in 78, but... <laughs> right, right. That's okay. I mean, you haven't played those games, but I really enjoyed both of them. And it's interesting. This is like uh, Atari's not crowned up right now. I think they were our number one game company for the past two or three years. So Yeah, yeah. I mean, they got silver, so it's not like they're doing bad. With the volumes of games they put out, it's hard for them to all be misses, you know? <laughs> right. And it is kind of important to note that if Taito hadn't done Space Invaders, Atari would probably be on top right now. <laughs> yeah, Midway would probably kick Taito out of the ring too, even with their Seawolf 2 and all that, just because right. Space Invaders is what carrying Taito this year. <laughs> yep. Yep. All right, cool. So uh, I feel like I'm learning about US. I feel like we are valuing companies that are you know, innovating over than just like putting out a bunch of games, you know? Right. Yeah. And uh, Space Invaders definitely has innovated the whole industry, we'll say. (laughs) So, uh, cool. I think with that, maybe we'll take a short break and then hop into the games. All right, welcome back to the history of video games. We're going to jump right into it today with a first-generation console. Uh, We didn't review it because it just plays baseball, and honestly, we've seen better baseball. But this one's by the company Epoch, who is one of the original companies behind first-generation consoles. They did one, it must have been in like 76, maybe, that was like wireless, and it had this weird giant antenna (laughs) um but they're from japan and uh whenever i see them i'm i get pretty hyped because they usually do at least unique stuff not just like a chip of some kind so this is a a console called tv baseball and i'm not quite sure what chip is in it but i believe it's unique to epoch and unique to this console like i mentioned it only plays baseball and honestly we've kind of seen baseball done better on the Astrocade and maybe even the 2600, you do have kind of the usual baseball setup. It's just three colors, green, red, and blue for the teams. And the, uh, the characters are pretty like simple. It's basically like a cross and then two dots, which are feet. (laughs) (laughs) And the feet don't even like move. Like there's not really animation. They just kind of, you know, 
slide around slide the around, screen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, it, I mean, it's totally functional. It does have true color, um, but it is a first-gen console, so you're buying a full console just for this one game, uh, which is not the best. So, we just wanted to leave it as a mention. Uh, there is video of it if you want to check it out on YouTube or something. Again, it's called TV Baseball by Epoch, but for now, we're just going to give it the old mention. <laughs> and then next up, we have the Kilobod magazine for July. Uh, for the May-June issues, there wasn't anything of note, but in this one, we did want to mention there is Battleship uh, that came out in a pretty faithful, like basic code implementation of the game. So probably not anything mind-blowing, but, you know, at least kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we're going to move into some handhelds quick we're going to start by talking about Raceway by Tiger and it's basically the same thing as Mattel's Auto Race except it used an actual mini wheel that you would just like I think use your thumb or your pointer finger to move the and turn the <laughs> wheel which um, it seems like it would be something that would be really easy to break like you sit on it and the wheel would break <laughs> yeah, because it's real. just a small plastic wheel i mean i don't know it i don't know but it is kind of an interesting take on trying to copy mattel's auto race but they're like hey we'll we'll make this one change and uh nobody will know (laughs) (laughs) but then they also were able to sell that version to sears and so sears uh called it auto race as well (laughs) but uh it's a version of the tiger raceway not the mattel one which is super weird but Hmm. yeah so (laughs) kind of a weird copies of Mattel's auto race here and for something a little bit different we have baseball basketball and football by Bandai uh, which were handheld RNG style games where you just basically keep score and I guess kind of watch the game play out Uh, we don't have too much info on them but it seems like they all had pretty identical gameplay and these were also licensed through Sears Mm -hmm. and then same kind of deal with Bandai they also made the amazing spider-man rescue and incredible hulk escapes which i think are the first like marvel games on the timeline probably yeah it's interesting that there are uh, handhelds made by bandai of all people but uh, it seems like they just used the baseball basketball football handhelds and just put different stickers on them <laughs> so <laughs> it's it's really just the same kind of rng uh we'll say gameplay hmm. <laughs> but uh just with uh marvel theming which i guess is okay (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's interesting instead of this guy running the bases it's spider-man and now he's saving people but he's basically just running the bases or something like that (laughs) right and then next up moving to some computer games we have two games that i'm going to do sort of a double combined review on laser turret and gunfight both by programma international which came out sometime in 78 We're reviewing both of these together because they have a decent bit to talk about, but overall they're pretty simple. Ben's kind of been uh, describing them as mini-games, which seems fair because there's not too much going on there with them. (laughs) Uh, But just a little bit of background on Programma International. I think we've talked about them before. They were one of the first software producers for computers, and they made games for the Apple II, the TRS-80, the Commodore PET, and other computers. And... That's pretty much all I want to cover on them in case at some point we want to do another deep dive on them. (laughs) Um, But these games, even though they're both pretty simple, they are in color because the Apple II is capable of that. And I'm going to call it Gunfight through most of this review, but the title screen for it 
the copyright says gunfight right before the title screen, but then the title screen says gunfighter. And the opposing person who you're fighting in it is called the gunfighters, I think. So it's interchangeable, I guess, but we'll go with gunfight for the sake of this review. <laughs> so getting into the gameplay for both of these, for laser turret, it's basically a target shooting game where the targets that you have to hit are called force shields. Uh, seems sort of Star Wars inspired. And they basically show up on the screen and you have to hit them before they disappear. The targets, the four shields, blink around in four different positions on the screen. And you basically just have to move the turret till it matches that position and shoot them. You have 50 shots. And once you hit zero shots, the game's over. Or if you go through a 15 minute time limit, which seems ridiculous. Um, <laughs> but of course, being that this is a, I was going to say this could be programmed, but actually since it's on a cassette tape, I don't know if it would have been as easy to change the program. But either way, I'm not too sure if that's the original time. It's a little ridiculous if it is, but those 50 shots run out a lot faster than that. Uh, and this did also have a harder gameplay mode where you control two paddles. The way that they describe the controls for this, it makes it seem like you used paddle controllers plugged into the Apple II maybe. Mm -hmm. um, but you controlled two paddles and basically you had an inner and outer sight on the turret, two things that moved independently, and they both had to be lined up to hit a target. So it just made it so you had to either move them both in conjunction or move them one after another really fast to line up your target instead of just moving one and uh, shooting. It's a little weird because I thought they were going to say it's a two-player mode, but it's just another difficulty. And basically you just get one point per target hit. And then for the gameplay of Gunfight, the theming is fantastic. It's this old-style western duel shootout kind of thing. You basically are staring at an enemy bandit, which in this game are called bad men. And uh, <laughs> you wait. I like that. Yeah, it's good. It just says bad man number one, bad man number two. Um, and you just wait for the opposing bandit to move. Their hands will kind of shoot down to their hips where their uh, holsters are. And then you press a key when, as soon as they move to shoot them before they shoot you. You can't fire first because you're the good guy. At least that's what the instructions say. Um, so you have to wait for them to reach their gun before you shoot. And basically it's just one after another. You only shoot one at a time. And you have to go through 10 different bad men before you save Dodge City. And each one, as you progress through bad men number one through bad men number 10, has slightly different timing on when they'll reach down for their guns. And also after they reach down for their guns, they get progressively quicker reaction time before they actually shoot you. So the whole thing is basically hit the button to shoot them before they shoot you after you see them move. And if you do die, it does seem like you can just try again and continue from the exact point where you left off. Uh, so there's not too much punishment for dying. Or there may have been lives or something like that, but I didn't see anything like that going on. So I wanted to hold off on describing some of this because the until I get to my ratings, because the graphics were really good for these, despite how simple they are. It's kind of weird. I gave a, a 3 out of 10 for both of these combined. When you're looking at laser turret, it's really simple. The turret and force shield both look pretty good, though. They're not just squares. The force shield is kind of like this weird, um, geez, I don't even know, like radio antenna kind of looking thing. It's just like three lines and then a line going down the middle of them. But, it, you yeah. know, at least it's different than a square floating around. And there's also a nice mix of colors. The turret, I think, is sort of like an army green or a dark green. The 
target is bright blue. There's a big red laser that uh, pops out of the turret, and then also no explosion animation, which stinks, but a green box that covers the target when it gets shot. And then other than that, the background is kind of empty. So laser turret wasn't fantastic, but it did pretty well. The real reason I gave it a 3 out of 10 for graphics is that gunfight kind of looks insane. Uh, there is a title screen before you load into the game that, as if it's a game on the N64 in like the 90s or something, or early 2000s, it has somebody slowly shoot the screen and noises in the background and bullet holes that show up all, all over the title screen. It seems ridiculous for a game in uh, 1978, but it's really cool. The screen just gets shot up a bit. And then the game itself is this colorful, pretty well illustrated shot of like two buildings, a sunset and mountains behind the buildings. In these really bright, vibrant colors, there's dark browns and then there's pinks for the sunset and yellows in there as well. And the bright colors just kind of are part of what makes it really good. It's like a really nice palette. And the gun is actually in the foreground in this because it's first person, like almost Doom style. Uh, mm -hmm. It doesn't look great. It's just kind of like a block with a little thing that must be a iron sight on the front of it. But it does look pretty good for a game of 78. And it's all black. And then the opposing gunfighter is also all black, but pretty well detailed. You can tell he has a hat. He's got two things on his hips, which are either guns or holsters or both. And he has arms that are kind of like traditional old school Western, like really far boxy out. <laughs> then it looks like he's about to reach down to his guns at any point. And even though these aren't colored and detailed at all, the fact that both the gun and the opposing gunfighter are all black, I thought actually worked really well because it kind of looked like with where the sunset is in the scene, the sun's like behind the buildings and it's casting shadow on like this uh, duel. So it's pretty cool whether intended or not. As far as more graphics and gunfight, there's also a small animation of the bandit reaching his hands down for his guns, which after he raises them back up, they're actually not on his hip anymore. And if he shoots you first, there's muzzle flash on both of his guns, just like this little white starburst. And then you also have a little muzzle flash if you shoot first. And if you hit him, a square hole appears in his chest, and then he's replaced with a pretty good, like, uh, mound of dirt for a grave and a cross sticking out of it. And it's just, the amount of details in, in it is crazy. I think it's because there's not, like any movement going on in the game so they could just keep the static background but either way it looks really awesome and then for the sounds i give it a three out of ten here as well again laser turret is pretty good it has some simple pong noises for the shields moving around it's a nice laser noise and a pretty good explosion noise but gunfight is really the standout of these two there's a funeral march music when you get hit there's a tune when you win. There's pitter-patter like footsteps whenever a new Batman appears, <laughs> like running off and on the screen. And the gunshot itself is probably because it's coming from an old computer. It sounds a little futuristic and weird, but it is it does have this sort of bassy tone to it, so it's pretty cool. And overall, just all those things taken into account, it's a ton more sounds than I was expecting. So I'm just super impressed by the amount that are in that game as well.
but for the gameplay, I had to give them both collectively a 1.5 out of 10 because this is where they both really suffer. Laser turret is cool, but there are only four places that the target can go, and the only real way to change the gameplay up to be different is by upping the difficulty or by choosing the double paddle mode, which doesn't really change all that much. I still think it's a pretty fun shooting gallery game, but it is still just a shooting gallery game. The dimensions are a little bit different because it's four different positions around you instead of like all up on top of the screen, but either way it's still pretty simple. And Gunfight, even though it has amazing visuals and sound, the gameplay is just press a button when you see a visual cue before the other person <laughs> shoots you. Yep. So, I mean, gameplay's a little bit of a loose term, although I do think the visuals and the sound make it exciting. Like, there's tension to pushing that button first because this guy's going to shoot you. So that does help with that, but it also looks easy enough to beat on the first or second try. And I don't think there are any other gameplay options. So it's mainly just a spectacle for like, look how cool this looks and sounds. But I beat it once. I never need to play it again, really, unless I'm showing it to a friend. Mm -hmm. So then for relevance, I gave them both a 3 out of 10, uh, just because they're both fun and interesting. But it's hard to say if they really influenced much. And they don't seem like they're really known at all today, uh, either of these games or Programma International, really. Um, Gunfight feels like the sort of forefather of the typical Western shootout arcade game, but when you think about it, it's also basically just a video game version of what already likely exists in light gun form in a lot of arcades. So it does a lot of cool stuff, but I don't think it's really like the first, except for maybe the first person gun on screen kind of style that it did. So overall, that left me with a 2.5 out of 10. Neither of the games are super complex or really have great gameplay but they did such a surprisingly good job with sound and graphics that I was just, I don't know, kind of happy to take a look at these weird things I'd never heard of. And the Apple II just continues to impress with the games that are being made for it. So seeing things like these makes me even more excited for the other stuff, other original titles we're going to see on the Apple II. Yeah. Like you mentioned, it's weird that the graphics are like the best part about it because I feel like the graphics have traditionally been where computer games fall short you know so um getting those squared up i think is a really good sign for the future on that yeah for sure i mean if that's one of the main weak points of computer games at this point as soon as you get people who are making crazy gameplay and this has the sound and graphics to back it up we're gonna get some good stuff yep yep definitely all right cool well let's take a brief break from computers and head back over to some consoles because we're going to talk about two more Channel F video carts. I think there's only maybe one more batch uh, sometime later in the year. So we're getting towards the end of the Fairchild games for this year. We're going to look at video carts 18 and 19. 18 was Hangman, and it was just a normal game of Hangman with no <laughs> seemingly variations. So I'm just going to skip that one. <laughs> Uh, but video card 19 was checkers and I did take the time to review this because you know you can't leave the Fairchild in the dust I mean we've got the 2600 and we've got the Bally Astrocade but the Fairchild is the third like second gen console that we have to look at so we have to keep keep them around a little bit Yeah. <laughs> and to be fair I don't, I've never reviewed a checkers game for the podcast so we have seen them before 
especially in basic games, but even like some of the earliest video games at, at all were checkers games. I think, you know, the mainframe ones that just like printed something every 20 minutes, you know, <laughs> but still they, uh, checkers has always been around, especially on computers, but I don't believe it's ever been around on a home console before. So I thought now would be a good time to check it out. So again, checkers video card 19 from the Fairchild. It is a game of checkers. It plays it pretty well, but that's kind of all it does. There's no variations <laughs> or anything like that. And the colors are also pretty weird because I think the Fairchild can only do like eight colors. So one person is red, which makes sense. And then the other person is green, not black, mm. <laughs> uh, which is okay. I mean, it works, I guess. And actually what is really nice is that the checkerboard itself, like with the playing surface, is between white squares and blue squares. So actually it looks okay. Like I, I think they did a pretty good job for what they could do anyway. As far as like how to play checkers, I thought I knew all the rules. I mean, it is pretty simple. Each person has to move a piece every turn. You can't just like wait around, which is something right. maybe I, I thought when I first took a look at it. Uh in the beginning, the checkers can only go like one direction down the board, so inevitably you'll meet the other player somewhere, and you're really just trying to jump their pieces. So basically have it so that they're diagonally across from you in one direction, and then behind them is an empty square, and then you can jump them. Weirdly enough, in this game, if you can jump, you have to jump. And I looked it up and it's actually part of the official rules for checkers. And I had no idea about that. I don't feel like I've never done that before. <laughs> so yeah. there are many times when I was trying to make a move and I couldn't. And I, was, I had to realize, oh, I, I can jump something. <laughs> like, so you have to do that, <laughs> uh, which is a little strange. I guess it's part of the gameplay where you, you force your opponent to jump and then maybe that gives you an opportunity to double jump because you know you kind of know where they are going to land or something like that i'm not really sure exactly what the professionals and checkers have to say about that but <laughs> uh it's an interesting kind of gameplay thing and then once your checker gets to the fully opposite side of the board it becomes a king checker and can move backwards and forwards now so it has more mobility um but weirdly enough it's still like not as powerful as you'd think i, I, I want to say uh it can still get trapped especially because your opponent usually will keep their last checkers on that last row for as long as possible so even if you can get your checker there in order to escape it has to go diagonally across to one where a different checker from your opponent is usually going to be kind of waiting there so it'll get kinged and then just have to sit there for a while <laughs> Uh, until your opponent is forced to move those other checkers because there's no other moves to go. But uh, that's basically the game. It's pretty simple. Uh, I do think checkers is pretty fun, especially over the board. I don't know. Uh, video game-wise, it has to feel like pretty fast for me if it's going to work. And this does not feel fast. Oh, no. <laughs> I've got no clue what the actual Fairchild controller, how it performed with this. But trying to do this in an emulator on a keyboard sucks because you can only move diagonally and I only had the four arrow keys. So you always have to press like two at a time. To oh, move. weird. Yeah. Which, and it just took forever. Like 
whenever it's your turn, it auto defaults to like the middle of the screen and then you move all the way to wherever piece you want to go and then move it. And then it goes back to the middle of the screen, even though you probably just want to continue moving that piece or something. Like, obviously, it would be better with the mouse is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, didn't, I didn't have that luxury, so. But that's about everything you need to know about checkers. The only other thing I have to say about this game version is that it does show whenever you jump a piece and that checker gets removed from your opponent, um, the checker will display on the side of the screen. So you can really easily see how many checkers you have collected compared to your opponent, which I quite like. So that's kind of a, a unique little addition that they didn't have to have there, but I'm glad that they did just to kind of show the current status of the game. But uh, let me get into my ratings and tell you where this falls apart. <laughs> Let's start out with gameplay. I really like checkers. The problem is that the AI is dumb, like really dumb. And that means that honestly, you can't play this game for hours because I beat it on my first attempt without really trying and with blundering like a piece. <laughs> and oh, no. There were just so many times in the game where the AI just like it would move a king and put him in the corner where you couldn't attack anything. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> Why would you make that move? And there are like other moments where I had a checker and there was nothing in front of it. It could just get to the end, right? And become a king. And their king just chased it all the way up the board. And because checkers can only move one space at a time, like it would be impossible to catch it. <laughs> and yet it chased it all the way up the board anyway. And I don't, I don't know why. <laughs> As soon as I made it into a king, I just left it there, I moved other pieces, and eventually the opponent had to move the king back, and then I just, you know, moved my new king. So it didn't really accomplish anything. <laughs> so the AI is really dumb, and I don't think it plays very well. I was watching somebody else play this too, and they won really easily. I don't know, I think if you don't know anything about checkers, maybe it's a good first checkers program, but realistically i think any adult is gonna win this the first time and then you don't really have any reason to play because there's no variations or any difficulty settings or anything like that so the ai is just not good and so because of that i just gave the gameplay a 2 out of 10. i like checkers but i need to be a little bit more challenged and i need it to be a little easier to select your pieces and move them in order for it to get a higher score or even just maybe having a a version of checkers where there is like a difficulty slider or something just to right. make it you know make it so that i can keep playing and hopefully improve my own checkers playing but i can't do that with this game it's too easy for sound i gave it a 1.25 out of 10 pretty low because this is the fairchild sounds and unlike some of the other second gen consoles it has a very limited pool of sounds it's kind of like pong noises but they are unique fairchild sound effects but they're definitely not good so uh by now they're they, they seem pretty outdated and it is just kind of pulling me sound effects and honestly the biggest letdown of the whole experience was that when you win the game it just freezes and does nothing <laughs> it doesn't play any sounds it doesn't reset the board i guess you're supposed to reset the console you know and play again and i was like how is that how, how is that acceptable? <laughs> yeah, geez. So that was probably the most disappointing part. But yeah, the, it's very, very simple sound effects just for when you move any piece, it makes a little ding. 
basically pong sounds. But for graphics, I did give it a two and a half out of 10. I think it looks pretty good. You can definitely tell the kings apart from the normal pieces, which is very important. And the pieces themselves, they're kind of rectangular instead of circular, which they probably did because circles wouldn't look good. <laughs> but the rectangles look fine. And actually when you select a piece, it kind of highlights it by turning the background into a lighter green color. So I think it does a pretty good job graphically you can see everything that you want to. And I, like I mentioned before, I like that you can kind of see the score because the checkers that you've collected kind of appear on the side of the screen. So all in all, I don't really have any complaints about the graphics. As far as a Fairchild is concerned, it's probably one of the best looking Fairchild games that they've ever done. But um, the other aspects of the game just kind of make it not really worth it. <laughs> so the graphics are pretty good for the Fairchild. And for relevance, I went six and a half out of 10, mainly because it's the first checkers game that we're reviewing for the podcast. And it's also the first checkers game on a home console. But I know that the 2600 has a checkers program that's probably going to come out pretty soon. I'm not sure if it's this year or next year or maybe 1980, but it's going to get like outdated pretty quick, I think. So I don't know. Anybody who owns a Fairchild this will be the first checkers game that they play and that could be a fair amount of people. So I want to give it some credit, but I don't think it does checkers particularly well, especially when even computers at the time are playing checkers way better than this. And finally, overall, I gave it a two out of 10. It's an okay checkers game, but I probably wouldn't play it again. I'm just going to maybe wait for the next iteration of this. <laughs> So that we can get some better AI in here and right. maybe even better sound effects and graphics and stuff. And maybe play with a mouse. That'd be nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, we do know that the Fairchild has that crazy uh, Bop It controller. So yeah. <laughs> maybe somehow it worked with that monstrosity. But honestly, I can't say I'm too surprised for checkers on the Fairchild. As much as we like what the Fairchild manages to do with its limited visual capability, though. Yeah, the weird thing was that the the visuals were probably the best part about it. <laughs> uh, I, maybe it makes sense that the AI just wasn't good. You know, maybe the Fairchild just can't do AI. You know, right. one thing I didn't mention is that it does do double and triple jumps and all that perfectly fine and well. Um, and it'll let you do that, which I was a little worried about because basically you would jump a, a checker and then it somehow knew that you could jump another one. So it wouldn't go to the opposing player's turn, and then you had to select your checker and jump the second one, which uh, oh, okay. was a little annoying to select it two times, but at least it could do that. So right. um, the actual checkers playing is completely fine, but the AI just wasn't wasn't there, and the sound effects are, they feel outdated nowadays. Yeah. But, you know, the Fairchild did come out two years ago. <laughs> so, so it is a little outdated. The fact that it's making new games at all is pretty impressive. Yeah. <laughs> But that'll kind of wrap up our little Fairchild, what would you, what would you say, like a little sidetrack here? Yeah, check in on the Fairchild, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> but we can uh, head back over to computer land where we're going to spend the rest of the day here. Let's start by going through some honorable mentions. We've got Depth Charge here by Chris Oberth. Before I say anything, we have seen a lot of videos claiming that the 78 version was this one in color that is just not true. <laughs> so if you're looking for this one, 
make sure you find the one that's basically not in color. There's some color because it's Apple II, but uh, it's definitely not like full color. But uh, this version, like I mentioned, it's not in full color. But it does play a decent game of Depth Charge. Uh, unfortunately, we couldn't play it ourselves, so we couldn't rate it. But maybe that color version that will come out in a couple years, maybe we'll play that one or rate that one. So we'll just have to see. And the next we have Don't Fall by Innovative Computer Programs, which was for the Apple II as well. It's basically a hangman-like game where you play against a computer and your character slowly walks towards the edge of a cliff as you get guesses wrong. So instead of, you know, slowly hanging yourself, which is brutal, you're slowly tossing yourself off a cliff, which is also a little <laughs> bit brutal. Uh-huh. And then we also have Super Chess by Ramka, Apple Casino by PowerSoft, Bridge Challenger by Personal Software, Swarms by PowerSoft. Just a mix of other miscellaneous cassette games that involve lots of RNG or kind of old concepts that we've seen in basic games before. Mm-hmm. And sticking with the computers, we've got a couple here by the company Speak Easy Software. I believe they're going to go on to do some cool stuff. But for right now, these are their first couple games. We've got Warlords, which came out on all the big three computers. I did look into it, but I couldn't play it myself. It looks like some sort of warring strategy game like Risk or something, but mainly text-based. It seemed like it was pretty complicated to play, but uh, we'll just have to wait until we can find a version that we can play or, uh, you know, maybe just get something that has graphics or something. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, they did that, and then they also came out with one called Kid Stuff, which was a collection of unscramble math, quiz, and storytelling programs meant for kids, which was uh, kind of a nice one from them. And then, still from Speakeasy, we have Bulls and Bears, which I thought was going to be a Bulls and Cleots, but it's actually a finance and stock trading game uh, where you can compete against other players. It sounds like it released in the mid or early 1978, based on the interview with the creator and then lastly for our speakeasy games that we're talking about we have micro trivia which is just a text-based trivia game not too much going on there next let's move on to something a little bit more interesting we are going all the way back to the xerox alto which it's been a while since we've talked about a game on the alto and mm-hmm. i'm going to talk about alto trek which as you might guess is star trek for the alto and this was created by Gene Ball and Rick Rashid. Uh, Rick Rashid notably creates the Microsoft subsidiary Microsoft Research in 1998. I think specifically it was kind of like an R&D division of Microsoft. Uh, so his name is at least going to be in the mix in technology for a while. And this Alto Trek was a networked multiplayer game that could be played with other Xerox Alto owners over an Ethernet connection. Uh, so kind of different than a lot of the multiplayer games that we've seen so far because most of those have been on the Play-Doh network which is sort of its own closed network i think at the university of urbana champaign or whatever um mm-hmm. but this i think is probably was still hard to do for like the common person who didn't have a ton of money but i think you could pretty much just if you had xerox altos and an ethernet connection set up your own old school 1978 land party basically and so the Alto itself, just as a refresher, it did make a lot of innovations for computers. It had a graphical user interface, 
It had an integrated mechanical mouse with it, and then also had a bitmapped display, which I tried to briefly get an understanding of. I don't totally get, but it's something like pixels could be assigned values based on a certain number of bits that could be stored in it, and somehow it made it so that it could render visuals faster and also do a variety more colors depending on the computer. The Alto, of course, couldn't do any colors. But the Alto itself, even though it made these innovations, was really expensive and didn't sell well. But we do know that it would go on to influence Apple and Steve Jobs for future computer ideas. So the mouse, I did want to mention the mouse and display because that's part of why Alto Trek can even be played the way that it is played. And the weird thing about it is that you can click controls on the screen to interact with the game which is one of the first times we've ever seen that, maybe the first um, previous games on the Alto, I think Pool, which Ben talked about, had mouse controls, but not so much interacting with the screen, a graphical user interface with the mouse to control a game. So it's kind of crazy, but let me just go over the basic gameplay. It's pretty similar to all the other computer Trek games that we've seen as far as the gameplay. This one is solely a multiplayer space battle game in a large universe. The game, like I mentioned, uses mouse controls to interact with the user interface. But in the game, you could play as either Klingon, Romulan, or Terran. They got a little mixed up on their lore because one of the planets on the map is Alderaan, uh, which, as we all know, is a Star Wars planet. Used to be a Star Wars planet, rest in peace. Um, And you can also fire phasers move to several different star systems, go to bases, fire torpedoes. You can raise shields to varying degrees. I think it's between 25 and 100% or 0 and 100% efficiency in 25 increments. And it doesn't seem like there's really a timer or anything to the game. I think it's since it's a Ethernet multiplayer game, it's likely you just kept a score with your friends and stopped playing when you felt like it. But the star date does slowly tick up. It starts from star date 100, and then as long as somebody's playing, it just keeps counting up, I think, in real time. So you could technically just keep the game running for like multiple days and have day spanning like wars if you had enough people who were playing this game together, which is a pretty sweet idea. But getting into the ratings for this, I want to talk about them because I think it'll help me explain the game a lot better. The graphics, I gave a 2.5 out of 10, but it was really weird to rate because Altotrek itself is all black and white. It's pretty decent sprites for the ships, but the sprites for like the space bases and all that aren't great. But what really sets it apart is the graphical user interface that it has. There is a compass-like display, which you can click inside different sections of the compass to change either direction that your phasers are facing or that your ship is moving. There is a acceleration bar next to the compass that you can click to do various percentages of acceleration. If you left click, it holds that acceleration percent. If you right click, it goes up to that acceleration, but then slowly decreases so that you can kind of thrust for a little bit without continually moving. There's a map that has two different zooms for long range scan and also for a galaxy wide view. So you can see all the systems. There's buttons on the screen that you can press for phasers and torpedoes to fire them. So it's hard to rate as far as graphics because it doesn't necessarily look that great, but all the visual information you can interact with is really good and really impressive. Um, Mm -hmm. There's even a nice effect where the 
velocity graph, which is sort of like a compass point that moves around based on your direction and it gets bigger based on how fast you're going. If you go fast enough to enter warp speed or you go to a um, or cruise speed, I guess, because you warp through specific stations, it turns white instead of black and the pointer turns black. So it like tells you, hey, you're in like this different type of movement. It's very smart with the way that this plays information and it's just so cool that you can inter interact with it. So it's not necessarily going to blow you away from how like visually stunning it is, but the details are really cool. Moving on to something more clear cut, sound, 0 out of 10, there are no sounds. <laughs> I don't know if the Alto is capable of sound or not, but I don't think it is. And this game didn't have it either way, as far as we could tell. For gameplay, this is another weird one to rate. I gave it a 3 out of 10, even though the gameplay itself is kind of meh. It's just fly around this huge galaxy shoot other players it would be pretty cool if you had tons of other players playing at the same time but for single player it's not great because there's no ai enemies and it doesn't seem like there's any hazards at all except for enemy ships so it's really only good if you had a huge group doing organized battles which i don't know it could use a little bit more interest than just searching for other players especially given how large this universe is that you're playing in but I think the real star of the gameplay for this is how it controls. It's a little janky, but you can hit a button on screen to fire weapons in that direction. You can actually click on different sides of your ship to increment your shields up to different levels. And you can aim the phasers, move your ship around. And it just really feels like it keeps all the crazy tactics and fine controls that all these previous computer track games had but make them a lot easier to get into because so much of it is visual, uh, at least for me. It's like, okay, I click on screen and then I go that direction instead of I type 90 degrees, I type 50% thrust, the kind of thing, which is really hard for me to visualize. But this is like, I can look on the compass and see I'm moving that direction. And it made me feel a lot more immersed because the way the screen is laid out kind of looks like a mock-up of like being in a spaceship too. There's like a couple different panels that have the details on them. So I gave it a high for gameplay mainly just because of how you interact with the game, if that makes sense. So then for relevance, I gave it a 5 out of 10. Uh, it's another Trek game in a long line of very similar Trek games, but it does make some really cool improvements on how the game controls. The Alto itself is also pretty relevant, so I felt like I should give it some credit there. And it makes really good use of the Alto's unique features as a Trek game to make it a unique experience. And so overall, I gave it a 2 out of 10. It's pretty similar, like I mentioned, to previous Trek games, but it really stands out by just capitalizing on the uniqueness of the system it's on uh, with the graphical user interface. The gameplay and visuals are pretty good, but they really stand out because of how you interact with the game. And even though it's not a fantastic game all around, it just really feels like it's breaking the mold in 1978 of how a player can play a game you know you're actually clicking mm -hmm. at elements on a screen instead of typing in commands or just using a controller so yeah i got a little meta with this review but it was kind of blowing my mind i'm like wait is this the first time we've seen like a functional and good graphical user interface in a game and yeah. i think that's the right term for it but it is it's just it's so weird to think about how <laughs> groundbreaking that is i guess <laughs> yeah yeah 
No, I think I think you said it perfectly. Makes a lot of sense to me. I'd say that was my experience with it too. Yeah. All right, cool. Alto Trek, everybody, go check it out. Uh, you can play it still. We actually found the emulator from a like a museum, a computer museum somewhere. If I remember, I'll put a link to it in the description of the podcast yeah, so you yeah. guys can check it out. Definitely worth uh, checking out just for how unique and weird it is in its time. Keep in mind, too, the Xerox Alto, I believe, is what um, is what Maze War was on way back, you know? Yes, it was. There just hasn't been that many games for the system for whatever reason. Uh, probably because it didn't sell that well as a system. <laughs> but uh, let's talk about a couple other Xerox Alto games to close out today. The emulators that we used have quite a few games in the emulators, but I went through every single one and just about every one of them have no dates. So uh, I will do my best to cover them all whenever I think that they might have come out. So I'll just name a couple here for you guys today that I thought probably came out in 78 or sometime right around there. We've got one called Space War. I did check that one out. This one is not mouse driven. It's a lot more of the usual kind of space war games. Although it did have animation for like shots firing and stuff, which was cool. I believe Alto Trek had that as well. It's it. Yeah. So kind of a combination of the more traditional Star Trek and Alto Trek. Some other ones included Battleship, which actually was another networked Battleship game for two players so that uh, they couldn't see each other's ships and stuff, which is cool. <laughs> And Maze, which just made it a giant maze and then asked you to go through it. But what was cool about the maze was that the paths can go under and over other paths. So it kind of had this 3D effect to it, which was definitely made the maze a lot harder, I'll say. But, you know, you're just going through the maze. But like I mentioned, there's a ton of other ones that didn't have dates. Again, I'll try to do my best to cover them. But I thought some of them definitely felt like they came out in 79 or later so we'll revisit some of these next year but then we've got one more that i covered this one actually did have a date 1978 called pinball and it's by clinton william parker which again is one of the only games here that actually has a author to it (laughs) so i thought you know what let's stay with the xerox auto for a sec and i'll check out pinball because when i booted it up i was like oh man the pinball screen actually looks pretty decent like there's a lot of detail going on maybe it has to do with that uh the bit display or whatever you said you were mentioning it was right um, but you know it, it looks pretty good like the uh actual pinball screen but then i learned something something that i think we all truly know deep inside and that's that if you play pinball and there's no sound effects it's not good yeah <laughs> it's really bad <laughs> Uh, so yeah, that's, um, that's going to be at the core of what I'm, I'm going to be talking about. <laughs> but, uh, so let me talk about the screen a little bit, just so you guys can kind of picture the playing field. Cause the playing field is really cool. It actually starts out with a true, like, I would say bobber, whatever that thing that you pull to shoot the ball is like a spring spring. Yeah type thing it actually has that and you hold down a button to slowly pull the spring back so you can do it at different intervals which is pretty cool i think that's really cool and then you've got the two main flippers which in my case i use the two shift buttons and that's kind of your only gameplay features you know just use the the flippers at that point 
but the actual game field, you've got two of the triangle bumpers on the sides. You've got a bunch of like, I'm going to say lines, but they've got a little bit of width to them along one of the sides of the screen. And if you hit all of them, you'll get a bunch of points and a free ball and stuff. So you kind of, there's some targets there. You've got the classic circular bumpers in the middle of the screen. And then uh, actually kind of like a pathway up to the left, which kind of goes around a barrier so that I can go all the way up to the top again. So all in all, it's probably one of the most visually interesting and complicated pinball setups that I've seen. Throughout all of this, there are like stars, just like in the barriers or in the walls to kind of make them feel like solid walls. Cause I guess maybe, I don't know, for whatever reason they couldn't do just a solid color in there. Maybe it was just an aesthetic choice, I'm not sure. And then they also have a bunch of circles with numbers in them. And they basically just say like how many points you've gotten from a certain amount of bumper hits or whatever. So it's kind of like displaying high score information within the gameplay field itself, which is kind of nice. And then finally, the bumpers look really, really good. I don't know. They look significantly more detailed than the rest of the screen. They actually say flipper on them, and they kind of have this look almost like a, I want to say belt buckle, but that's not it. It's kind of like um, a piece of metal that has two screws in it on either side. So it's like somebody screwed in this word that says flipper onto the flipper, which... Yeah, yeah, like a nameplate kind of thing. Yeah, like a nameplate, yeah. Which, I don't know how they did that. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it looks significantly more detailed than the rest of the screen, but... uh, all combined it's a very complex and filled screen there is a fair amount of empty space but it it doesn't look like there's empty space because it's the circles with basically high score numbers on them that are taking up that space on the screen but it is just empty for the ball so the ball doesn't really like interact with any of it so as far as things that interact with the ball there's not as many but uh it's a pretty nice looking screen Maybe with all that, I should just get into the graphics rating because I've been talking about it so much. Uh, I gave it a one and a half out of ten. Again, it looks really good. The problem is that it's all black and white. <laughs> so, I don't know. I mean, how high could I really go? I, I don't know. Right. And uh, the ball is a little glitchy or just maybe uneven. You know, it's not like it's rolling, right? It's It's sliding and it doesn't quite look as right. Maybe it has to do with the frame rate. I'm not sure, but uh, there are some things about it that it could be more visually like things flashing or moving or something like that, but it's pretty static for the most part. So that's probably my only complaint about it. But then getting into the other parts, the sound is the worst. With no sound, (laughs) I have to give it a 0 out of 10, but if I could, I'd give it like a negative 2, because with a pinball game, like half of the time that you're playing you're just waiting for the ball to get close to the flippers, you know? So if there's no sound effects, you're just watching a weird black and white movie of a ball hitting things. So (laughs) it really feels empty. And that has everything to do with the sound effects. So zero for the sound effects. And for gameplay, I think the sound effects kind of hurt the gameplay. But the gameplay is kind of not the best either. The ball has a weird gravity to it. 
where it feels like you're playing pinball on the moon. So the ball never really goes that fast. And uh, sometimes we'll just float around in a weird kind of way. And there's just like the way that the triangle bumpers are set up. For whatever reason, it seems very likely that the ball will just go into that one path where it goes under the flippers and you can't do anything. It happened like three out of my five games where the ball ended up down that path. So... I don't know. I feel like the game board itself is arranged in kind of a questionable manner. <laughs> and also the collision is not the best either. So there were times when I hit the ball with my flipper when it was clearly in between both flippers. <laughs> and also times when it almost got stuck on the flipper or I don't know. It just the, the collision wasn't very good. So or uh, predictable. So it did collide with the, the bumpers and the barriers of the walls pretty well, but with the movable flippers, it didn't do such a good job. And that's where like the gameplay's happening, so <laughs> it's kind of weird. <laughs> so all in all, I gave gameplay just a 1.5 out of 10 because it kind of failed at doing pinball in a couple key respects. Overall, I wasn't such a fan of this game. But before I get to my total, I want to quickly say relevance. I just gave it a 2 out of 10. I mean, Xerox Alto, like we mentioned, it didn't sell like the best. We have seen other pinball games before this, so it's not the first one. It is a pretty good version of pinball, but any other version that has sound is going to be a better version, <laughs> in my opinion. <laughs> so, I don't know. I, I, I didn't think it was particularly relevant in any respect. So just overall, I gave it a 1.25, kind of a letdown game for me because when I first booted it up, even though it is in black and white, the amount of detail in the graphics is pretty crazy, honestly. But the actual gameplay is just really not good. So, you know, it kind of brings everything down. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. It's almost a little worse that the graphics were good because it had you expecting more. <laughs> I know, yeah. I don't know what I was expecting. I, I think I knew that the Alto probably didn't have sound effects, but I guess I didn't know for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that'll do it for us today, guys. I hope you enjoyed us talking about the Xerox Alto. We probably won't see it again until next year because of how few games are made for it. But it is interesting to catch up with them every now and then. And Alto Check, I think, was a genuinely pretty good game. Especially yeah, if sure. you have the Xerox Alto. <laughs> like, you definitely got to play it. Oh, yeah. But other than that, we did check out some Apple II games like Laser Turret and Gunfight by Programma International, which I think is going to be a company we're going to be seeing a lot more of in the future. Although I don't know if they're just going to keep making these kind of small projects or if they're actually going to do something really big. I don't know. We'll just have to keep our eyes out for them. And then finally, I took a look at Checkers by the Fairchild Channel F. It's still nice to see the Channel F. It's, it's nice that they haven't been completely destroyed yet even though you think that right. they would be <laughs> but they're still making games so until they don't do that anymore we're going to keep checking them out yeah so as always make sure to check out our twitter we're going to be doing announcements when new episodes are coming up and their content as well as if we've taken a break for a week and check out our new and improved and polished and beautiful website where you can listen to the podcast right there if you don't have another app that you already listened to the podcast on. And lastly, if you have any questions for us, make sure to send us an email. 
And with that, we'll catch you next week. See y'all next time.